0: Yes, I am John, and, and crazy me. I am going to tackle the Trinity today. We're going to try this today. Uh, it is a it is a very important subject, but uh, I thought let's let's just do this. We're going to. Um, I am so grateful to be here, and I'm thankful to be given this opportunity to just bring you this message. The Trinity, the Trinity, the Trinity is. I guess it's a core doctrine of Christianity. Now, listen, it's not something that you have to be able to understand to be saved. (laughs) But it is something. The word, it is something that cannot be denied if you fully study. So the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. So if you pull out your Bible app and say, well, I'm going to look up and see where the word Trinity is mentioned in the Bible. You won't find it. You won't find it. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three... The Bible tells us are one. Triunity, Trinity is that word. Now, St. Augustine of Hippo, he lived 1,600 years ago. He took nearly 30 years of his matured Christian life to write 15 volumes, 15 volumes called About the Trinity. And he was constantly updating and revising his work. Now, if it took Augustine 30 years and 15 volumes, I will not be presumptuous enough to do anything but anything else but just simply to scratch the surface of the subject of the Trinity. And I'm going to ask that you pray for me as I tackle this subject today. Pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. God, thank you. God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with us today. Be with me as I share these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, the persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they share some attributes. I have them up on the screen. Uh, Each person of the Trinity is eternal, is creator, is Omnipresent, which means present everywhere. Omniscient, which means all-knowing. And omnipotent, which means all-powerful. And... Each person of the Trinity has a will. Each will act alone, but they also act together. They give life and strength to believers. They appear together many places throughout the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Places like Genesis 1, Matthew 3, Matthew 28, Luke 3, Revelation 22, just to name of a few. So here's my question. Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that the three are one? Most denials, most denials of the Trinity are actually attacks on Jesus. Those that do not believe in the Trinity, it's all because of Jesus. They can't admit that he is God, the Son. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, Scientology, Christian science, all deny the Trinity and they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that he is God the Son. They do not believe that he is equal with God the Father. They actually modify his humanity to fit their theology. Now, it is absolutely important that Jesus is God's Son. All three are important. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to suggest to you that the reason it's important is because our salvation hangs on the fact that Jesus is fully God as well as being fully human. So since the church began 2,000 years ago, there have been basically three propositions of the nature of Jesus. Here they are. Some propose that Jesus was fully human, but not really God. He was fully human, but he really was not God. This doctrine sounds attractive to many and they teach this. However, it actually contradicts what scriptures emphasize about the deity, how Jesus is God. The Apostle John, in his his gospel, the Apostle John starts out his apostle talking about Jesus and he's giving him, he's calling him the Word. Look at what it says in, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst. He came to this earth. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was God and came to this earth. Uh, another passage. Remember the doubting Thomas uh, after Jesus rose from the grave? Thomas said I cannot believe unless I I see the nail prints in his hands and this spear mark in his side. And when Jesus appeared to him and showed the nail prints inside the spear, Thomas said in in John 20 verse 28, my Lord and my God and Jesus does not rebuke him because Jesus is god in the flesh now some propose a second proposition that we see out there some propose that jesus was actually fully god but not really a human this is actually another common one this heresy taught that jesus was truly god in the flesh but he really was not a human being he only seemed human he was not really human. He just seemed it. This proposition contradicts Scripture, which emphasized the humanity of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Remember the famous Christmas, those famous Christmas songs we sing every year in December? Remember that one, Away in a Manger. You know, I should have started that a little bit higher. Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The cat or lowing, the baby awakes. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Sorry, it's a little bit flat, but you get the point. No crying he makes. Sometimes we try to say that Jesus was actually superhuman. And even as a baby, he did not cry. I want to tell you, Jesus was fully human and he did cry. He had everything, he had crying and poopy diapers. I don't know if I'm allowed to say poopy in the uh, pulpit, but in any case, you get the point. Jesus was fully human, he was fully human. So therefore, we propose, this is the third proposition that was out there, and it's the one that I follow, and that's the one that we follow. We propose that Jesus was both fully human and fully God. His divi- uh, divinity, I think, uh, Eddie Snipes, I read this a this, uh, couple weeks ago, and I thought this really summed it up. If Jesus was not fully God, he's no different than Muhammad, Buddha, or countless other religious icons Claim to be world religions. If Jesus was merely a man, the world would be correct in its claim that all religions point to the same God. And then, however, since Jesus was God, he has the right to claim that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is so much different than other people that have started religions. He is God, but it's also important that he is human. So why is it important that Jesus come as a human, his humanity? If Jesus had not been human, he could not have lived a perfect human life. And that was necessary for him to be able to take the penalty of our sin. I I think a key verse is Hebrews found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this. Since the children, us humans, since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives have been held, have held in slavery by the fear of death. Christ's humanity is important because if Christ had not been a human, he could not have freed us from the slavery of death. So again, I ask a question that I asked earlier. Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that they are one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. James chapter 2 verses 18 and 19 says, Someone will say, You have have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by by what I do. Do you believe that there's one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In other words... Yes, our church believes that believing it is good, but don't stop there. Do not stop there. It's time for action. If you believe in God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's time for action. And so we're going to look at three passages for the rest of my sermon, three passages of the Bible, and the call to action that is listed. The first passage we're going to look at is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The first of our three passages. In this passage, you'll see that we've been encouraged by the Trinity and that we must obey. This is our first Trinity passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter... This is his introduction to his letter that he wrote. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This, by the way, is what was known as Asia Minor today, known as Turkey, the the country of Turkey. He's writing to the churches of, of Turkey who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, there's the first of the Trinity. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that's the second one. And for obedience to Jesus Christ, that's the third one. And the sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is probably one of the richest greetings in the New Testament. You know, today we live in challenging times. Things are tough and they seem to be getting tougher (laughs) but they were living in challenging times during the early years of the church, and that's why Peter's writing this message to them. The church was spreading very quickly, and it was going into regions that were not favorable to the church, and the churches, the church needed great encouragement. They needed encouragement, and Peter recognized that, and that's why he sent this letter, and he lays how the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit plays an important role in in their calling. First of all, he points out that they were chosen by God the Father. (laughs) Okay, have any of you, how many of you remember playing the schoolyard football, kickball, dodgeball. You get together. Two captains are chosen, one on this side, one on this side. And then they divide up everybody else uh, by picking and choosing, calling different ones to their team. They usually start with the most skilled players, don't they? Then finally, the last few kids are picked by default. And you never want to be the last person chosen. Not only is it humiliating, but it's a reality check you're no good, <laughs> you're no good. No one wants you, they only have to take you because they have to. Let me tell you something though, God the Father has chosen us. He wants us to be a part of his family. It's the idea that we, we are actually the first of his chosen ones. Now, I know the question always comes up, uh, John, are you saying that we're predestined, that we're chosen by God, therefore, we have no say in the matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. You, it is still our choice. We have a free will to choose. Remember what I said there in 1 Peter 1, 2? You know, we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of God. See, God knows everything. He knows everything. He's not limited by time. He knows everything. He knows everything about you before you were even born, even before the world was created. His foreknowledge allows him to know who will be a follower even before we decide what to do. So God the Father wants you to know that you are chosen. You are loved. You are appreciated. You are wanted. Peter's like... People need to know that God wants you and loves you. And what a great thing to know to be encouraged by the Father in this way. But not only that, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 speaks of the sanctifying work. Sanctifying, that's one of those religious words. Like, what does that mean? It's a word that means to be set apart for something special. It means to be declared holy. Holy. It means to be consecrated. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that, that sanctifies us. So we are encouraged to live holy lives. He sanctified. He made us special. He set us apart so that we can live holy lives. And this is important because Peter conclu- concludes this whole section where, where he says, Be holy. God says, Be holy because I am Holy. So those who have been sanctified are called saints or holy ones. Now, in the New Testament, the term saint applies to every follower of Jesus, not just those who lived exemplary lives. Every Christian is a saint. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul addresses the, his letter to the saints living in Rome. You know... That makes each of us who's a follower of Jesus a saint. You actually can call me Saint John. (laughs) We are, in Jesus Christ, we are all saints. We're all saints. I see Saint Bob and Saint Fran. Saint Bob's right front and center. I was hoping to be able to see St. Mary. I'm looking for. St. Paul and St. Saint, uh, Saint James. I saw him earlier today. You know, we are saints. We have been called to something special. Now, in the Old Testament, both people and ordinary objects were sanctified for sacred purposes. But listen to this. Once they... Were set apart as instruments for God's service. They were never to be used for mundane purposes again. Once you're a saint, you are something very special in the sight of God. And there's wonderful thing. It's a wonderful there. There's a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit does for us. He helps us now to live that life. Jesus is, is speaking in John 14, verse 26. He said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've done to you. That Holy Spirit is living in us to help us. Oh, that was great encouragement. That was great encouragement. And then also we're told that we're called to obedience through the blood of Jesus. First Peter 1 again speaks of the obedience to Jesus and the sprinkling of his blood. The sprinkling of his blood. You know, this was first introduced in the Old Testament. Not only were objects of the temple sprinkled with blood, you know, setting apart for worship, but even, the, even God's people were sprinkled with blood in the Old Testament time. Exodus chapter 24 verse 8 tells us that. But what's interesting is the sprinkling was done only after the people made a commitment. They committed themselves to the obedience. When Moses was speaking, he read the book of the covenant. He read the Bible, the first five books to them, and they listened to it. And then they responded by all saying, we will obey, we will obey, we will follow. And after they said, we will obey, then he sprinkled them with the blood. The sprinkling of the blood is a foreshadow of what was to come when Jesus poured out his blood on the cross. The blood of Jesus. Remember that song many of us grew up singing? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, this is a very important Trinity passage. This introduction, this greeting that Peter makes to his his, uh, people. He said, you know, it tells us that we have such a great encouragement today. We've been called by God. We've been called by God the Father. We've been chosen because he loves us. We've been sanctified and made holy by the Holy Spirit. And that's an encouragement to live holy lives. And finally, we are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, saving us from our sins and living a life of obedience. You know, we thought this would be a great time when we think about the Trinity to remember what Jesus did for us. You have that little communion cup that was on your seat when you came in today. Jesus wanted us to have a visual memory, because that for some of us is a great trigger. He said, I want you to partake of this communion. And that's what we're going to do today. And those of you online, I'm going to ask you to just, if you can, to join us. Let's all take that loaf that little piece of bread that cracker and Jesus said you know what i want you to remember that i gave my body and i died for you let's remember that as we partake of the of the loaf And then Jesus gave the cup, he said, I want you to drink this, and I want you to remember that I shed my blood for you together as a church. Let's take of the cup. Oh, God. Thank you for reminding us every Lord's Day. Thank you for reminding us who you are. Thank you for reminding us that you are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that you are with us. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice. Thank you for coming in human form and facing life. Facing the hardships and the temptations that all of us face. But God, you lived a perfect life and then they hauled off and killed you And, and God, you did that willingly. Thank you for the greatest sacrifice. And then the grave could not keep you. You rose again. Thank you for loving us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, isn't that the truth? The powerful name of Jesus. Have a seat. I know some of you are thinking, what? Are you coming back again? <laughs> Where am I supposed to stand? Here I go. <laughs> I'm back again. Yes, 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 yes. I got the best part of the message to come. Folks. Listen to me. The Trinity, the powerful name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to share with you another scripture. First or 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. Again, it talks about the love that the Trinity has for us and we're encouraged to welcome others. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 13. It says, greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's in the Bible. All the saints send their greetings and may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13. What a wonderful passage. You know, this this is one of those easy verses to memorize. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Actually, uh, that was one of my first messages or one of my first scriptures to memorize as a teenager i thought that's a good one to have now culture and times will tell us the best ways to greet you know we uh already today we've done fist bumps remember when covid was at its peak we do elbow bumps uh high fives handshakes hugs cheek to cheek kisses yes it's all part of that greeting when i was on a mission trip uh, to portugal Some of you were on that trip with me, Portugal. (laughs) The guys would greet each other by doing a cheek-to-cheek. They would do the right cheek first and then the left cheek. For some reason, I got the wrong one, and that was really awkward to do the wrong cheek first. But in any case, in any case, we want to greet and make people Feel love, genuine gestures of friendship. And then 2 Corinthians 13 says that all the saints send their greetings to the Corinthians church. They all sent their greetings. Do you know what I get from this? All Christians need to greet. I'm in charge of the greeting ministry. I expect you to see me after church, okay? All of us need to greet. We must greet even those that we do not know. See, we must greet those that are new to the church. We must make them feel valued and welcome. Remember what our little sign says when you walk in? It says that, you know, we, are seeking, we seek Jesus and we see you. We need to make people feel loved and valued. You know, this doesn't happen very often in all, uh, most churches, my parents actually visited a church one time. It was a very tiny church. Only about 40 people came to church. The worship center would seat close to 300, but only 40 people would come on Sunday mornings. And my parents were visiting. They they stopped in. They sat down in a pew. And a lady came up, stood by them, (laughs) staring at them. And finally, she said, you're in my pew. This actually happened. (laughs) My parents had to get up and move to another spot. They never did go back to that church. You know, who is your one? Remember leading up to to Easter, who's your one? Listen, we will be seeing many guests from now on. We're going to see it. We're going to experience it. And we must, every one of us must welcome our guests. As as Paul said, you know, uh, greet one another. We need to make them feel valued because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that did that for us. Everyone who comes to the church, they want to know three things. And some of you are, are recent guests here, and this is what we want to know when we walk in. People new to the church, they will often ask, will they accept me here? Will they accept me? Or are they going to judge me for all my past mistakes? Are they going to accept me or are they going to judge me? People who walk in here want to know. Paul said to greet one another and to accept one another. And then he reminded the church of Corinth that Jesus accepted them with grace. He said, he was, greet one another. Then he said, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If Jesus was gracious and merciful to us, then we need to do the same for others. Remember, none of us, when we walked in here, were perfect. None of us. So do not pass judgment on others. We will accept all who come to church without judgment because Jesus did that for us. Now it's interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, 10, 11, verses 9 and 10 list all the sins. There's 10 sins listed where God considers these sins to be wicked. As a matter of fact, these sins will keep you out of heaven. And some pretty evil stuff is listed there. And it's amazing that after he lists these heaven buster sins, he says this in in, um, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. We've talked about these words. You were Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. There's the Trinity again. (sighs) Folks, don't judge others, for we also were sinners. Now we have to grow past our sins, but remember where we were when we arrived. Let me tell you another question that people will ask. Will they love me? Will they they treat me with respect? When someone new comes in, they want to know, you know, is this church going to respect me? Peter reminds the church in Corinth that God loves them. Unconditionally, use that word agape, which means unconditional love. Paul said, you know, the love of God be with you all. You know, if God... Can give us a second chance and treat us with kindness and respect, then we need to do the same for others. On social media this week, I I read someone wrote, "I've I've given God a million reasons not to love me. I've given God a million reasons not to love me. None of them changed his mind. Isn't that great? We will unconditionally love all who come to church because God did that for us. Greet one another. Greet one another. A third question that people ask is, Will I actually fit in? (laughs) Will I fit in this with this church? (laughs) Will they want to know me? (laughs) Will they want to know me? Paul reminds the church in Corinth that the Holy Spirit chose to live in them and have fellowship with them. And, and it said, you know, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fellowship, that's that word koinonia. It comes from the root word that means to share, to have in common, to have in common. You know, when, when, when people come into the church building and, and you think, okay, I don't know that person. Don't just say hi. Don't just give them a fist bump and then let, let them go. Get to know them. I, I love what Stan does. Uh, when Stan has his, um, at the end of our connection point, we, our, all of our class goes to Stan's house for a meal with Stan and Don, and it's always great. And Stan does something with everybody that comes. Uh, I don't know what he calls it, but I call it the Ford system, F-O-R-D. Basically, he'll go around and ask everybody, tell me about your family f o what's your occupation r what recreations are you involved in d what are your dreams it's a way to get to know someone you know what we need just like the holy spirit has fellowship and knows us we need to get to know one another we will purposely get acquainted and get to know all who come to church because the Holy Spirit did that for us. Okay. I think a lot of you are doing a great job at this. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's pictured up here on the screen. Jake. A lot of you have been asking me about Jake. Jake. Um, some of you don't know who this is. He, he showed up at our church um, two weeks before Easter and came for three weeks. Two weeks before Easter, Palm Sunday, and then Easter Sunday. And we haven't seen him since then. But in any case, let me tell you about Jake. Jake is a 25-year-old homeless person. He's 25 years old. He's been homeless. He's been on his own since he was 14 years of age. He grew up in Seattle, lived in Seattle, his first 25 years of life. Seattle's been becoming very dangerous, especially for people who are homeless, who live on the streets. So he Googled, safest city in America. And do you know what it said? Carmel, Indiana. He happened to own a car. Doesn't have a home, but he does have a car. He jumped in his car and he drove to Carmel, Indiana actually spent the night on the streets in Carmel. He was surprised because when he woke up, there was not gunshots, traffic, horns, and people yelling and screaming. He heard the birds chirping. He thought, what is that? He was hungry. He found out that that we had a pantry, so he came to our food pantry, told a little bit of his story there, just uh, in getting acquainted. It was a little bit hard because he didn't have an address. Your car is not a good address. But we fed him. And we invited him to come to church. I don't know if we gave him the wrong time or what, but he said he's an early bird. 9.30 service, he showed up at 8 that Sunday. I happened to be in the lobby. I said, hello. And I went up and introduced myself, and and we got acquainted. And um, I heard his story that he Googled safest town and came came up with this town. He showed up. He said, You know, Christians actually have been starting to be nice to him. He said he was always taught that churches are evil, manipulative, and liars. And he said, What's interesting is the people who told me that are evil, manipulative liars. (laughs) And he thought, I'm going to give church a chance. And so he showed up. He said, I have never been in church before in my life. And he showed up. I said, Well, stick close to me. So he went with me to class. I was teaching my Bible 101. It was the last session. I said, well, come to that. I said, stick with me in church because you won't know what's going on. I need to sit with you and help you. And some of you sat there and helped him. Jake is not here. He's in jail. Some of you have been asking about him. I've been writing to him. We talk on the phone you know, we, we've been asking, who is your one? I thought, yes, Jake's going to be my one. And then he ends up in jail. So I thought, okay, maybe not. I still think he's my one. <laughs> I've been talking to him. I asked him, can I talk about you in my sermon today? He goes, yeah. I'm going, as soon as this is over, I'm going to send him my notes so he knows what I kind of what I said. I want you to know that to greet one another And to love well, we need to love well, even if risky. If we're going to err, we're going to err on the loving side, which is what you guys did. Matter of fact, the third Sunday that he was here, I still wanted him to stick close to me. I couldn't keep track of him. Every time I found him, there's a group of you standing around him talking to him. If we're going to err, we're going to err on the loving side. And if we have another Jake show up, we're going to do it all over again. By the way, he told me that he's found three guys that he can have Bible studies with. He said, and for the first time, I'm having peace in my life, even in this times. He has peace in his life. Let me tell you, Jake's story is not done. It is not done. And as a church, we will greet... And we will love, because God did that for us. I just have one short more passage, Matthew 28,19 and 20. "We've been commissioned by the Trinity, let us go and make disciples. Matthew 28, you know, you know this passage is very familiar. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity right there, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is probably the most familiar Trinity passage in the Bible, but we have been given authority to go and make disciples, and the key to understanding this Trinity passage is that word authority. We are not going out. Jesus did not commission the disciples or us to take uh, his ministry on our own authority. It's not our own power or authority, but it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is not a message only to the church leaders and staff. This is a message to every one of us who is a follower of Jesus. We must go to our next door neighbors, to our co-workers and to our families. And when we go, it is with a specific purpose to make disciples by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we've been commissioned to baptize. Again, that passage that we read in Matthew, it says, Jesus came to them and said, therefore go and make disciples. Is that up there? Yeah, I'm way ahead of myself. Give me the next slide. Then Jesus came to them and said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The original word for Greek, listen to this. Some of you already know this, but you all need to hear this. The Greek word for baptize is actually the word baptizo. We just kind of transliterate it. So that anybody can mean anything that they want. It's a, some kind of a ritual thing, but actually it means it means to immerse, dip, and plunge. And we do that in our baptistry here at venture. Listen to me, not because well, that's the tradition of your church. No. We do that because we have been commissioned in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to do so. Do not take this lightly. Look at what God says about the new life that we have. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4 and 5, We says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism. We were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, just as Christ came up out of that grave, we, was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Now, this is not an arbitrary ritual. God did not choose, like, oh, what can I have them to do? No, this was something that that he chose because baptism and immersion was commanded to show the, the burial of the old self and then the rising of a new person. In Acts 22, 16, Ananias was talking to Saul who later became the apostle Paul. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Again, it was not an arbitrary ritual, but baptism shows the complete washing that we have. Thomas Rainer uh, of Church Answers, I, I get his emails every day. He happened to say this week that most churches, the Great Commission, have become the Great Omission. And Venture cannot let this slip. And then we've been given the assurance that we will never be alone. He said, I will be with you always. Through the Holy Spirit, we know that God is always with us. We have the authority now to go and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is never far away. He is right there beside us through the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But then it's that last part, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are immersed, we get that gift. And there's a promise for every one of us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all three with us always to the very end of the age. That's what it's about. And so today, we learn that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. And we learn that we've been chosen, we've been set apart, we've been been washed by the blood of Jesus, and we learn that we need to obey God, and, and we need to welcome others. When they come, we need to make them feel loved and valued, and we need to we need to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Phew. Okay. What are you gonna do? Wow. WE ARE TOLD TO DO THIS IN THE NAME OF THE FATHER AND THE SON AND THE HOLY SPIRIT. DO NOT TAKE THIS LIGHTLY. TONY JOHNSON AND I ARE GOING TO BE OVER AT THE CROSS. COME TALK TO US. IN THE NAME OF THE FATHER AND the SON AND THE HOLY SPIRIT. LET'S PRAY. OUR FATHER IN HEAVEN, I THANK YOU FOR THIS DAY. Thank you for reminding us that you have given us the the most precious gift. And God, help us to spread that and give that to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.